a sermon and song. If I hadn't spent so much time preparing, we could just go home. (laughs) Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Please turn there in your Bible as we continue our study in Paul's letter to Titus. The focus of our attention this morning is two verses. But I think it would be wise for us to uh, set those two verses in their context. And so I'd like to read for you, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, through verse 10. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible, In all things, showing yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Let's pray for our time of study this morning. Father, thank you for the great privilege that we have to come and to fellowship and to sing praises and to study your word. Let's never take that for granted, Father, but count it a privilege. I pray for our time of study this morning that you would instruct us and challenge us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You remember that Walt Disney fairy tale, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Those little guys, Doc, grumpy, happy, sleepy, bashful, sneezy, and dopey, went off to work singing that song, Hi-ho! Hi-ho, it's off to work we go. And what a job they had. They worked in a diamond mine, golf ball-sized diamonds laying on the ground or easy to pick out of the walls. Well, instead of diamond mines, there are some of you who will trudge off to a less desirable job tomorrow. You won't be singing, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. You'll have a bumper sticker on your car that says, I owe, I owe. So it's off to work, I go. (laughs) Work. It's part of uh, our adult life, isn't it? The 168 hours a week, many of you will work at least 40 of them. The average adult spends over 2,000 hours a year on the job. Half of our waking hours, one-third of our adult life, 
It's doing jobs like secretaries or plumbers or builders or auto mechanics, accountants, lawyers, doctors, and the list goes on. Oh, let me just add homemakers with little ones running around who work far more than 40 hours, by the way. The question we want to consider this morning is, does my relationship to Jesus Christ have anything to do with the way I work? Or because I'm a believer, what kind of employee am I to be? We know that the scripture answers that, and we can begin in that passage that I just read that begins with the words, urge bond slaves. Now, I know that there is not an exact parallel between a first century slave and a 21st century worker. Now, you might disagree because of where you work, but that's neither here nor there. But I do believe that we can take the principles that Paul lays out for Titus to pass on to slaves and apply them to our jobs, to our workplace. But before we look at the text, I think we need to consider the idea of slaves, the concept of slaves in the Roman Empire of Paul's day. Historians tell us that there were over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Slaves came in a to be a slave in a variety of ways. Some were born into slavery. Some were sold into slavery. Others were conquered by Rome and became slaves. Slaves performed all the duties. The free men of Rome had a little bit of a problem. They didn't like work. They thought it was degrading, so they didn't do any. They had slaves and servants that did everything. The slaves were doctors, and they were teachers, and they were secretaries, and they worked in the fields, and they worked in the homes. Some rose to high positions. They managed the states. But regardless of, of that, they, they did everything, every kind of job imaginable. It's also helpful for us to realize that they had no rights under the law. They were seen as non-entities. They were tools to be used as one would use a hammer or a saw. And some were, considered, were, were, were treated miserably. They had a bad lot, while others were loved and honored and cared for. As some have been troubled that the Bible does not speak against slavery. What those folks forget is that the Bible is not a book of political reform, but personal transformation. And God is much wiser than we are. He understood if the slaves and the masters implemented the principles that uh, Paul and, and Peter and others laid out, that slavery would be abolished, and it certainly was. But why is the passage here? Why does Paul talk to Titus about slaves? Well, if you'll recall, over the past few weeks, Todd has been talking about groups of people within the home, within the household, within the church, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and how they are to relate to one another and how that can impact society in the way that they relate to one another. Slaves would fit that bill as well because slaves were part of a home. They were part of a household just as much as those other categories. They were an important part of the church, an important part of the culture. 
So rather than attack slavery, Paul gives biblical principles to slaves and in other places to masters as to how they're to live out and work in the first century. But I believe that those principles that Paul lays out are applicable to us today and the jobs that we do. So look, let's look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 9. It seems to me that in verse 9 and the first part of verse 10, Paul talks about three obligations that those slaves have as they relate to their masters. We could put it in our day by saying that we as Christian workers have certain obligations to our employers, to our boss, to our superintendent, whoever that might be. The first is that we are to be subject to our boss, to be subject to our employer in everything. As I thought about that this week, it seems to me that these, that instruction to slaves would be kind of unnecessary because, let's face it, they were slaves. But it may be that Paul was trying to uh, get out in front of a problem. You see, those slaves had become believers, and they had been taught that they're free in Jesus Christ, free from the bondage of sin. He was afraid they might think that that freedom extended into their earthly status, and he wanted to be sure that that was they didn't think that was true. They were still slaves, subject to their own masters. Also, he might have been concerned that some of those slaves and masters were both believers. And let's face it, he's a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, and they might take advantage of that circumstance. He wanted to be sure that they understood that their earthly status had not changed. They were still slaves. They were to be responsive to the master by being submissive to him. The grammar of these words is interesting because it indicates that the slaves were to submit themselves in a voluntary way, if you will, to their masters. And notice the extent in everything. We would say 24-7, every aspect of life, they were to be submissive. Regardless of their circumstance, that was to be the way they approached their duties, obedient to their masters. Of course, there is one qualifier, isn't there? The master's authority did not override God's authority. The master's authority did not extend to asking that slave to do something immoral or wrong. slave did not have to obey in those circumstances. He may pay consequences. But clearly there are things that they were to do that would not dishonor God. Notice the second obligation. It's stated positively and then negatively. Be well-pleasing. Don't be argumentative. Uh, to be well-pleasing carries with it the idea of giving satisfaction to the master doing a job in a a winsome way that's satisfactory. It's being a good worker, someone that the master enjoys dealing with, working with, not argumentative, don't talk back. Uh, the, The idiom has to do with disputing what someone says, directly contradicting them, even worse, opposing them to the point of refusing to work. A terrible attitude to have. They're not to talk back or to mouth off. 
in our situation, there are oftentimes forums, and if you have a problem, that you can talk about issues, and you need to do that. Be honest and open and fair with your boss. Slaves, you are to be subject to your masters. 21st century workers, you are to obey your boss. You are to be submissive to him. You are to be a person who is well-pleasing, a winsome worker, if you will, not argumentative. But then the third obligation is given negatively and then positively. Don't steal, but be trustworthy. Pilfering, that's not a word we use much anymore, is it? It means to set aside for oneself, to misappropriate, to steal. It's interesting. You remember when uh, Todd spoke on chapter 1? Look at chapter 1, verse 12, if you will, where it says, One of themselves, a a person from Crete, looked at the people of Crete, says he was a prophet of their own, and said, Cretans are always uh, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. (laughs) What an indictment from one of their own. There was a statesman in Rome called Cicero who wrote on one occasion that Cretans did not think it was immoral to steal. But wait a minute. When a person became a believer, that changed. They knew that stealing was wrong. So Paul says, teach them not to steal. But that's not a, a problem that's unique to that era or that age. Millions are stolen every day, every year on the job. And I read of a man in Dallas who was, a, um, a, was building homes. He was working for a developer. He, he, on the side, he was building his own home. And, and he furnished his own home with doors and faucets and windows from his employer. And when they arrested him, they asked him, why would you do that? Well, I just saw it as a friend's benefit, something he owed me. Then there was a the little boy who came home from school with a note from his teacher, and she was concerned that he was stealing pencils from her desk. His father sat him down and said, you ought not do that. That's wrong. Besides, if you need pencils, I can get, anyone, get all you want from work. We don't steal pencils. We don't steal windows or doors, but there's a subtle way that on the job we can steal. It has to do with time. Come in just a little bit late. Leave just a little bit early. Take a little bit longer than we should at lunch. And then those digital devices that we have. Texting, Facebook action. Surfing the net when we should be working. Well, there I've gone and done it, haven't I? I stopped preaching and I started meddling. Well, let's get back to it. That but in verse 10, not pilfering, but is a strong adversative, showing all good faith. All good faith. It has to do with the idea of being faithful, reliable, trustworthy, loyal, someone who can be trusted in the workplace. 
word showing has about the idea of giving ample evidence, of being someone who is loyal to his employer. Slaves in the first century, you who work in the 21st century, be submissive to your boss. He is your boss after all, or she is your boss after all. Be submissive to them in every aspect. Be well-pleasing by not talking back, by not stealing, by contrast, demonstrating loyalty and faithfulness. Before we look at the last words of verse 10 and Paul's instructions to Titus, I want us to look at another passage that deals with the issue of slaves. Titus 2 and Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6 all have similar instructions and similar words. But there's some instruction in Ephesians 6 that's important in our discussion of what it means to be an employee in our 21st century world. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. Paul writes, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service as to the Lord, not to men. And the phrase, the words that are important for our consideration this morning as it relates to our work and what type of employee I am to be are those words, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God. As a Christian, your job is the will of God for you. Over the years, I've talked to a number of folks about the will of God. And what does that mean? And in every instance, I point them to the Word of God because I am convinced that the will of God is found in the Word of God. And here, Paul, writing to the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Paul explains to the slaves of Ephesus that their work done in service to Jesus Christ is the will of God for their lives. Now, let's be clear, Paul is not writing to labor unions in the city of Ephesus. He's not writing to people who had a guaranteed 40-hour work or a guaranteed annual wage. He's talking and writing about slaves. If that's true of slaves, how much more true is it of us who work under a free enterprise system? Your work is done as service to Jesus Christ, doing the will of God. Notice this with all of your heart, wholeheartedly. Service to Christ. Did you notice that three times Paul used that phrase? Verse 5, as to Christ. Verse 6, as slaves to Christ. Verse 7, as to the Lord. You may work in a particular place, and work for a particular employer or a particular boss, 
But what I want you to hear this morning, in that place, you are serving Jesus Christ. You could put here Mary, a servant of Jesus Christ, a physician. You could put Tom, a servant of Jesus Christ, working as an accountant. Or Alice, servant of Jesus Christ, a mother, a homemaker. Nancy, a servant of Jesus Christ, teaching piano. Steve, a servant of Christ, a plumber. Jim and Sue, servants of Christ, serving in a restaurant in Lubbock, Texas. Not by way of eye service. It's interesting. I think Paul coined that word. We don't find it anywhere else in the New Testament. It has a picture about it, doesn't it? When the cat's away, the mouse will play. We don't do it as eye service. To please men. That's not how we do our work. We do, do it because we know that we are working for Jesus Christ. Remember that old phrase? You used to see it on coffee cups and bumper stickers. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. <laughs> That's the idea. I think the church has missed this emphasis. I think down through the ages... We've missed this almost completely. For example, we have said to a Christian carpenter, if you're going to be a dedicated Christian carpenter, you need to study the Word of God. You need to be involved in a small fellowship so that you can grow spiritually and have fellowship. You need to attend the services of your church regularly. You need to serve in the church regularly. I agree, that's all very true. But that's not primarily what we should have been telling that carpenter. What we should have been saying to that carpenter is what is vital and important to God is how you do your work in the marketplace. The kind of furniture you turn out. I cannot believe that in the shop of Joseph's and Sons of Nazareth, that there would come from the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ a chair with wobbly legs. And he would put together a a dresser in which the door stuck. The creator of heaven and earth would turn out shoddy workmanship. We should be saying to that dedicated Christian carpenter, he says, of course you should study your Bible. Of course you should be in a small group. Of course you should worship on Sunday. We should have been saying with more emphasis, for God's sake, for His glory, do good work, make good furniture. What I want you to hear this morning is that God is concerned about the way you do your work, the way you fix that car. The way you sign contracts. The way you serve customers. It's important to God the way you keep house. It's important to God and you fill in the blank. I believe that your job, as you see it as serving Jesus Christ, as the will of God for for your life, 
That makes it sacred. It makes it important in God's economy. As I look at Scripture, I see that our work, your work, is important in God's sight because in that job you are serving Jesus Christ. Having said that, let's go back to the book of Titus. One of the reasons that it's so important that we do good work, that we're a good employer, is because it's there that we serve Jesus Christ. It's there that we do God's will in our work. But Titus goes on to tell us that the reason you are to be faithful as a, as a worker in the workplace, that you have the capability to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a Christian worker, your behavior in that workplace should adorn the gospel and attract others to it. Notice how he says that, so that. Be, be submissive. Be winsome. Be trustworthy. Don't steal. Don't be argumentative. So that you will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Now, I don't know if you mark in your Bible or not, but if you do, I want you to mark a couple of words. They're found three times in these ten verses. They're what we call purpose clauses. Notice in verse 5, it says that, So the word of God will not be dishonored. Live your life in such a way that the word of God will not be dishonored. Then in verse 8, so that the opponent will be put to shame. Live your life in such a way that all of the lies that they say about you as a believer will be deemed to be untrue. They'll be put to shame. And here, live this way, work this way, so that you will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. That word adorn is an interesting word. It was a word that was used to describe the, the, the arrangement of, of jewelry in a manner that would, would enhance their beauty. It, it comes from the word, that word adorn, from the Greek word cosmeo, which we get our word cosmetics, to enhance one's beauty. And the idea is that through our work ethic, we can make the gospel attractive to others. We can adorn the doctrine of God, who is our Savior, who saves. Every time I think about these words, I'm reminded of a story that I ran across some years ago. It was about an auto mechanic named Cecil who lived in Toronto, Canada. And a gentleman came into his shop on one occasion and said, my car's not running right. I've got a little bit of a glitch. Could you take a look at it? Cecil did. Um, he did a little tweaking, and the uh, guy was good to go. The man asked him, he said, well, how much do I owe you for that? He said, well, it's nothing. It was a simple thing, simple fix. It's just not worth uh, anything. I'm happy to help you. And the man pushed him. He said, I don't want to pay you. I mean, we're something. And Cecil said, no. And he finally said, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and God would not want me to charge you for such a simple thing. I'm happy to do it. 
The man still pushed him, and, and it opened up an opportunity for Cecil to share his testimony of his faith in Jesus Christ and, and why he ran his shop the way he ran his shop. Well, as it turns out, that gentleman was an investigative reporter for a Toronto newspaper. He'd been to a number of automobile shops in the Toronto area, and he'd got estimates for the fix that Cecil did for nothing of between $10 and $150. Yet when that reporter came to Cecil, said, look, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to charge you for that. It just wouldn't be right. And that became the lead article in the Toronto paper. <laughs> it caused quite a stir. Cecil got phone calls. <laughs> he was asked to speak. He got more business than he could handle. I believe that Cecil, by not charging for that minor automotive repair, did more to make the gospel of Jesus Christ attractive than all of the evangelical preaching done that Sunday that next Sunday. The most attractive way to show the doctrine of Christ and the gospel is in the world of work. Your work is important to the cause of Christ. If you've ever been to a mission organization, you may have gone to their headquarters. You may have seen a map a map of where they focus their ministry, where they focus their evangelism and their discipleship. Also on that map, they, they may indicate where their missionary families, their missionary units are found in what cities or towns or areas. You might use a pin or a name or something else. I do not believe that God has a missionary map in heaven. But if he did... I think you'd be surprised at where he puts his pins. Identifying his missionaries. Oh, there, there would be places like Latin America and Europe and Asia and the Pacific Islands, but I think you'd be surprised at where you'd find him in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> you'd find him in the schoolroom and in the shop, in the home, in the office in the restaurant. Throughout this community, God has placed His people in the workplace to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ to attract others to the Savior. That gives dignity to your work. Now, I, I don't have any desire to get in trouble with the elders of Melanie Park Church. But I want to suggest to you that one of the most important things that you do in your Christian life, you do not do here. As important as what you do here is, on Sunday morning or during the week or whatever it might be, what you do here is not the most important thing that you do. The most important thing that you do is what you do in the workplace in serving Jesus Christ and making the gospel attractive to others. It's there that you serve Jesus. It's there that you make the gospel attractive. Back in the second century, the church was under attack 
it was being attacked from philosophical sources. They said that Christians were atheists because they didn't worship the God of Rome, and so obviously they didn't worship any God at all. They were accused of being disloyal because they didn't worship the emperor of Rome as Lord. They were accused of being immoral because they met for what was known as a love feast. In the early church, they met for a meal and then communion, and they called it the agape feast, the love feast. And somehow that seemed immoral to the Roman philosophers. And so in the second century, a group of men arose in the church, men who were called apologists. They came to the defense of the church of Jesus Christ, and they wrote and they preached to the Romans. They met the attack head on. Let me tell you what they did not say. They did not say, you need to come on a Sunday morning and listen to our preacher. He's really eloquent. He's really good. He can explain what this Christian faith is all about. Nor did they say, you ought to read our doctrinal statement. We've laid it out in there. It says what we believe, and, you know, that'll do the job. No, they didn't do that. They said just one thing. To the Roman pagans, they say, said, you say we're disloyal? You say that we're atheists? You say that we're immoral? Look at our lives. Look at the lives of the servants who work for you. Look at the Christians. Look at their lives carefully. Because if you look at their lives, it will give a lie to everything that you're saying. You know what? We ought to be able to go to the people where you work and say to them, do you want to know if Christianity is a sham or if it's real? There is a Christian. Look at that person. They're not perfect, but there's, they are God's man. They are God's woman in this workplace. Do you know, want to know about the power of Jesus Christ to change lives? Go to the workplace in the city and watch followers of Jesus Christ as they do their work. Do you want to know about the power of Jesus Christ to transform a man or a woman? There is a teacher. There is a plumber. There is a mechanic. There is a housewife. Look at the way they do their work. Look at the eagerness with which they approach their work because they understand that that is a place where they serve Jesus Christ. Well, how does it work? Well, in the words of one great poet, as Tommy Snooks and Bessie Brooks were leaving church one Sunday, said, Tommy Snooks to Bessie Brooks, tomorrow will be Monday. And it will be. Now, if you're in the educational world, you don't have to go to work tomorrow, but the rest of you probably do. That alarm clock will go off at an hour that is no sensible person will want to get up. And oh, by the way, you've lost an hour, so you make it worse. And you'll fight that battle of mind over mattress and roll out of bed and stumble into the bathroom and prepare to go to work. And somewhere along the line, you'll think, oh, man, it's back to the old grind. 
perhaps you'll remember the words of Paul that he wrote to Titus so long ago. No, that's not the old grind. That is the place where you serve Jesus Christ. That job is the will of God for you. That's God's place for you. Now, you may change jobs. Did you know that uh, the average American changes jobs eight to ten times in their lifetime. I didn't know that. You might change your job, but wherever you are right now, it's there that you are doing the will of God and serving Jesus Christ there on the, on the job. Or maybe sometime during the day, you get crosshairs with your boss. You'll be tempted to react badly. But you'll remember Paul's words to the slaves on Crete, written so long ago, but applicable to your situation. Be responsive to that boss. Be submissive to him or her. By being winsome, well-pleasing, not argumentative, not talking back, not stealing, and in contrast, demonstrating your loyalty and your support in the workplace. Why? Because you'll remember also that it's in that place, in the way that you do your work, that you make the gospel of Jesus Christ attractive. And as you do your work, there may come a time when your boss or a fellow worker or someone will ask you, what are you all about? Why is it that you do what you do the way you do what you do? And God will open the door for you to share your faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. You know what? This gives dignity to your work. This gives dignity to your job. It gives glory to your grind. Father, thank you for these words of Paul to Titus, who was then to pass them on to the slaves in Crete. Father, I thank you so much that the word of God is relevant to our situation, to our condition. We can learn from these lessons. Father, there are some here who are no longer in the workplace, but my prayer is that for us who are in that situation, we'll be of support to those who are by way of encouragement, by way of challenge, by way of prayer. The stakes are high, Father. We have the great honor and privilege to represent you and in the workplace to adorn the gospel of grace and make it attractive to others. Father, use us in that way, and we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory. We thank you for this time of worship. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.